Let's start at the very beginning. You know that getting to know you question that's like, if you could have a dinner party with anyone in the world or from history, who would you pick? I would pick the person who domesticated the auroch. Hear me out. We know wild chickens became domestic chickens, big cats became domestic cats, wild ibex became domestic goats, and wolves became domestic dogs. Now, the cow came from something called an auroch, which is best described as a big wild ox. It was huge. It was six foot or almost two meters high at the shoulder and had enormous horns to match. And someone one day saw the aurochs when everyone else was hiding at a safe distance. And that one single person was like, I'm going to put you right next to my house and pet you and make cheese. And I'll call you Bessie. Horn schmorns. Who was that person? Imagine the truly special bottle of wine they would bring to my dinner party. It would be incredible. But this isn't a podcast about aurochs. This is a podcast about dogs, and more specifically, this is an episode about wolves. There's symbolism, as I understand it, attached to wolves, and also symbolism attached to dogs. Something like this. Wolves, independent, wild, brave, fearless, dangerous. Dogs, safe, loyal, friendly, loving, and loved. You dance with wolves, but then you come home to dogs. A wolf howls somewhere far off at the edge of the clearing. Lassie comes right up to you and barks to let you know the old barn is on fire. The difference here is domestication. Dogs and wolves are genetically different. If you were to raise a wolf from a puppy and bottle feed it and keep it from other wolves, it would still be a wolf. Ah, 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 ah. good boy. Ah, ah. Get back. Come here. But a wolf raised by humans. And if you were to give a dog over to be raised by wild wolves, it would probably not end well. Dogs have different physical features than wolves, like spots and floppy ears. In On the Origin of Species, Darwin writes that, quote, not one single domestic animal can be named that has not, in some country, drooping ears, unquote. Don't reach up and check your ears right now. The floppy ear thing has kind of been debunked. We can't go back in time and look at how domestication happened, but we can sort of simulate it a little bit. Or some people think so, at least. In 1959, Dmitry Belayev started breeding only the friendliest silver foxes. Within 10 generations, the foxes started seeking out people and licking their hands and faces. Their tails curled up, their ears started to flop, and their coats got spots. Or, so the story goes, later genetic testing indicated that the foxes he began with were probably from a fur farm, not the wild, and that the population of 130 foxes was maybe too small for statistical validity. At most, Belayev started another breed of domesticated foxes, a little bit more pet-like than the others. Domestication remains a mysterious process because of the length of time it takes. Not too much is known about the first dogs. Depending on who you ask, dogs separated from wolves between 15,000 and 40,000 years ago, unless it was somewhat earlier or a little bit later than that, and the first domesticated dogs came from southern Mongolia, unless they came from eastern Europe or southern China. If you really, truly want to, you can read the research that's out there and take sides in the epic debate about whether the Mosbach wolf was a chronospecies of the gray wolf or the Etruscan wolf, or join the team which you have you believe that the Mosbach wolf, the gray wolf, and the Etruscan wolf are all one big happy species. It's complicated because wolf domestication probably happened multiple times in multiple places over human history. An interbreeding between wolves and dogs has always happened, and it happens today, sometimes by accident. I know, it's just 
intense image. The prevailing theory is that dogs followed a pattern known as self-domestication. Wolves like the food early people left behind so much that they built a whole lifestyle around it and eventually stopped hunting for themselves. In self-domestication, animals start following humans around rather than humans getting a hold of animals. The very friendliest wolves got the most food from people, so they had more and friendlier pups. And then the friendliest among those pups got the most food from people, so they had more and friendlier pups. And then the friendliest among those pups got the most food from people, and so they had more and friendlier You can look at all the different breeds of dogs within dogs. It's called a Klein, and kind of see how some are very wolfy and some are not in the least wolfy at all. That makes sense. What makes less sense is how much of a dog's behavior is dog, that is to say, domesticated, and how much of it comes from wolves, which is to say, not domesticated. Some dog owners, and I should have said before, this may be kind of a gross episode, sorry. Some dog owners are in the habit of exchanging kisses with their dogs. To everyone else, this is a dog licking a human face. Disgusting. Dogs lick faces because of vomit. I'm not sorry to disgust you, you deserve to know the truth. Wolves regurgitate partially digested food back to their young to feed them. I warned you, this was going to be gross. They're not the only animals that do this. The licking of people's faces is a version of regurgitating back into baby wolves' faces. Early experimenters in animal behavior used to think of animals as interchangeable. If ravens weren't available, they went with cats. If cats were too difficult, they got some mice. Research happened in the laboratory. But animals have very different sensory processing systems and capabilities and physical characteristics. Conlo Lorenz broke this pattern and started observing animals in their natural habitats, kind of just doing their thing. He began describing the worldview of animals as defined by what they can perceive through their senses. For Lorenz, and also through most of the 50s and 60s, sensory processing was thought of as the reason a raven acts like a raven and not like a cat. Dogs have 20-75 vision. What a person with normal vision can see at 75 feet away, they can only see at 25 feet away. They only see two colors. Nobody knows which two colors. Maybe blue and yellow? Slice bread, the artificial heart, and nobody knows which two colors dogs see. Apparently, it's like human vision at dusk. They are much more sensitive to motion than people are. A large portion of dog brain power is devoted to smell. And it's not just brain power. There's a special organ in their noses that picks up scents and connects directly to the dog brain. Their noses are wet. I warned you this was going to be a gross episode because the mucus helps pick up smells. All this means dogs smell thousands of times better than humans can. Exactly how many times better? Between 1,000 and 10,000 times better. Um, Somewhere, somewhere in there. I know it's worse than the two colors thing. People who work with dogs think the extreme difference between how dogs and people take in the world is a root of a lot of behavior problems dogs have in the home. They can't see what people are showing them and they can smell what people can't. So dogs bark at things people can't smell and fail to see what people are very clearly pointing at. Animals just look at their hand. They don't do pointing. What you put down isn't necessarily what a dog can pick up. There's a popular experiment among wolf and dog behavioral researchers. They set up a problem like food locked in a box or food in a fiberglass container or food in a maze. They present this problem to dogs and wolves and see how they react. Wolves tend to go at the problem directly and physically. They might start digging or tearing at the container. 
Dogs act differently. They tend to look back at the human experimenters. They ask for help from people, where wolves just go after the food. So dogs and wolves solve problems differently because they have different worlds. Wolves depend on themselves, and dogs depend on people. Wolves aren't perfect, but they're proactive. Dogs are followers. It's the effect of all that food left over from Neolithic campfires. I expected that learning all this would help. Some sense of how difficult it is for dogs, I hoped, would bring me to a better, deeper, fuller, and kinder understanding, to smiling kindly at the barking and saying, the organ of Jacobson located in dogs' nasal cavities connects directly to the brain. But it didn't. I may not be able to smell what dogs are barking at, but I can hear the barking and the scratching and the whining. If anything, it makes me wonder that dogs and people manage to live together so closely. The more I read, the more I hear, the clearer it seems to me that there's no communication between the species. It might look like there is, but it's an illusion. So far, we've been talking from the perspective of people domesticating animals. But there's another way to look at it. Did animals kind of domesticate people? After all, people spend enormous amounts of time and energy on the welfare of animals. People find food and habitats and mates for animals, things that wild animals have to do for themselves kind of out in philosophy world here, aren't we? How did that happen? I'm fascinated by the question of what early humans liked about friendly wolves so much. I mean, it's pretty clear what the wolves get out of the relationship, food. But food was scarce, and it must have been pretty compelling to share any of it, even scraps, with an animal. And perhaps it was protection. Were they just trying to befriend the wolves and avoid being food themselves? Were they bored? Were they experimenting? I'll never be able to ask anyone who was there. But what's a podcast without rhetorical questions? What also interests me is what's in it for people with dogs today? There's nothing super inspiring or cute about vomiting, fighting, barking, or whining. But that's just me. And I hate your dog. I Hate Your Dog is an independent podcast written, recorded, and produced by me, Jules Reich. You can reach the show at IHateYourDog at ProtonMail.com or by rating and reviewing on your podcast app. Thank you so much for listening.